you will, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 37. Exodus chapter 37, a message today entitled, A Boneyard Revival. A Boneyard Revival. Now to start off, I'm going to give you a confession that I don't have to give you. Um, I have found... Gerald, don't tell our family, okay? I have found that I may be part African-American. From the years 2011 to 2018, we went to Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia, uh, for an event called Refresh. <clears throat> and we had many, met many people, many friends, Bill Eliff, Tom Eliff, Michael Catt, Daniel Simmons, uh, the list goes on. Just great preachers, great men of God. Daniel Simmons, it's a name you may not recognize, but if you saw the movie Courageous. Did anybody here see the movie Courageous? In the movie Courageous, the African-American pastor that did the ceremony for the men is Daniel Simmons. He's a close personal friend. He's preached for me on two or three occasions. He's a pastor in Albany, Georgia, Brent. He's in a little old dried-up church. It's about 85, 90% African-American. They're about to dry up. Their building seats 2,200, and they filled it twice on Sunday. And back in, my, back in 2014, he invited me to preach for him. And I was in the early service, and uh, we had about 1,200 people, between 11 and 1,200 people in that early service, and I'm going to tell you something. Eric, talking about good music, son. Now, everybody else may not like how African Americans do it, but I'm going to tell you, they got my heart. They got my heart, man. They just let it go. Energetic, passionate. And I got to thinking about that church as I was getting preparing for this message, and I'm, I'm reminded of the real energetic church. A real energetic church. One Sunday morning, the pastor came out and he said, With God's help, our church is going to move from crawling to walking. And they talked back to him. They said, Yeah, preacher, let the church walk. Let the church walk. Hands go up in the air. And he goes, And when our church starts walking with God's help, our church needs to run. And yeah, God, now three or four of them are standing, raising their hand. Yeah, let, let the church run, preacher. Let the church run. And he said, and if our church is going to run with God's help, our church needs to soar. And now everybody's on their feet. And, and, it, and they're waving their hands. Let the church soar. Let the church soar. Let the church soar. And then he said, and if our church is going to soar, all of us need to be committed. Crickets. And one, and one voice in the back said, let the church crawl, preacher. Let the church crawl. <laughs> I come here today to tell you this. The church of Jesus Christ is designed to soar and nothing less. Last week we talked about that Jesus decided his church, that would be us, to be able to charge the gates of hell and have success. Charge the gates of hell and win. Reach people who are walking in darkness. Reach people who are walking in sin. Reach people who are bound for a devil's hell and bring them back to themselves. Now, please listen. If we're going to do that, it requires this thing called revival. Both personal revival, you and me, 
and collective revival, us. For the last couple of years, I have studied this thing of revival, and I wanted to hear what some people had to say. So on the screen, Adrian Rogers said, said this when he defined revival. Revival is when God comes down. Now, I don't know about you, but boy, we need that in America today. Leonard Ravenhill was a 21st century uh, revivalist. This is how he defined revival. Revival is when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented, he shows up himself. And then he goes on, Ravenhill goes on to describe revival with three terms that you recover, that you repair, that you restore. In other words, you bring life to where life once was. You see, the truth is, is that where spiritual life exists, where spiritual life exists, spiritual things become the top priority. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your stage. It doesn't matter your social status. It doesn't matter anything because when you and I get our hearts revived, we experience some things that we've not experienced before. And I want to illustrate it this way. The teenagers, hear me out before you throw me out. Right down here is our teenagers, and I'm just tell you, I'll stack up our teenagers against any teenagers anywhere. But listen, I'm going to pick on them, so y'all don't get mad at me. Y'all just hang on, okay? I'm an equal opportunity offender. Our kids go off to camp. And if you can be a fly on the wall at the camp, they got their bands cooking, they got their songs singing, and they're closing their eyes, and they're singing to the top of their lungs, and they're waving their hands, and boy, they're passionate about worship. Man, it's great. And then they get back here. And their hands go in their pockets. And their eyes go open. And they go quiet. You see, at camp they had freedom. And I always wondered, what is they free from? And I can tell you, you're not going to like it, but just hang on. I'm an equal opportunity offender. You know what they're afraid of? You know what they're not? They come back, they're there, they're free. You know what they're free of there? And they get back here, they're, they're free there of the glares and the stares and the opinions of the adults. <laughs> now, wait a second, wait a second. What's this, what's this, teenagers? You're, you're, you're obviously restrained by the stares and glares of the adults who sat right there 50 years ago. Most of us were where they were 50 years, watch, 50 years ago. Now, 50 years ago, we didn't call it youth camp. We called it youth retreat. We'd leave on a Monday and we'd get back on a Saturday so we didn't miss Sunday. Friday night was the big number. We did. We worshipped all week and we sung all week. But Friday night we had a bonfire. Put our guitars on and we'd sing. Yeah, April's shaking her head, nodding her head. We'd sing at around that bonfire and we'd close our eyes and we'd sing to the Lord and we'd raise our hands, we'd clap our hands. And we get home on Saturday, so we didn't have but twenty four hours, and we get back on Sunday. And y'all are better than we are when we were, if these adults will admit it, because instead of being on the front row, we were in the back corner with our hands in our pockets, and we wouldn't sing. You know why? 
because of the stares and the glares of the old people. Now, that would have been a good place for an amen. But that just tells us how deep this runs. You see, folks, I don't believe, I know our kids pretty good. I don't believe it just has to do with singing their music. I think it's a matter of spiritual freedom. I've heard our kids, and in, in, when in the making sing, sometimes they sing that song we just sang. Because he lives. Because it's, it's not about the style. It's about the expression to the Lord. You see, folks, we need to find freedom. We need to have, listen to me, we need to have the freedom to raise our hands. We need the freedom to clap our hands. We need to have the freedom to sit on our hands if that's our way. But it needs to be about freedom. Revival comes in on the road to freedom. We need We need what God gives. I submit we need the freedom which only comes from the Spirit of God. Brother Jerry can't give you the freedom. The deacons can't give you the freedom. Old people can't give you the freedom. Young people can't give you the freedom. Only God can give you the freedom. Revival comes by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God comes to those who desires what he has to offer. And what he has to offer is freedom. And freedom begets revival. For those that haven't figured it out, we have revival services scheduled in just a few weeks. A preacher can't bring revival in his back. Revival is not something we stir up. Revival is something that we pray down. And I'll, as we get to Exodus thirty, I mean Ezekiel thirty-seven today, is that. Of all places that need a revival, it's a graveyard. In Exodus 37, we're looking at a boneyard. These are people who have been dead. There's no life. There's no breath. There's no activity. There's no expression. Oops. Oops. That can be some churches. Bless God, I don't think it's us anymore. But I think that there's no life, no breath, no expression. Here's the deal. As we look at Ezekiel 37, it's a place where it needs revival. So let's get our scripture in front of us. If you found Ezekiel chapter 37, let's stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. Listen, follow along, because this is indeed God's word. The hand of the Lord was on me, writes Ezekiel. And he brought me out by his spirit, and he set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me around, all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you. Make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. 
I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as he is, as he as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, <laughs> there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them. Flesh grew and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to it, this is what the Lord God says, breathe. Breath, come in from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished and we are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land, and then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, open our eyes that we can see. Open our minds that we can know. Open our hearts that we can feel. Open our spirits that we can receive what you want to give today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I confess to you that every time I read this text, I read it and I have a little smile on my face. I wonder what must have been going through the mind of Ezekiel when this happened. I wonder what he thought when God put him in a valley and not on a mountain. I wonder what, when there were, what he was thinking when he saw bones and not people. What did he think when he saw the dryness and the barrenness of it all? <laughs> what did he think when God said prophesy to these bones? What did he think? What would you have thought if God had taken you out and told you to prophesy to bones? Don't you take offense at this because I'm not really talking about new hope because you guys seem to listen and pay attention, whether you do it or not, you listen and pay it attention, okay? But I have been to that place where, you, where you're preaching and prophesying to bones. People won't listen, don't listen, won't respond, don't respond. No feeling, no life, no action, no reaction. 
You can scream, you can shout, you can do whatever you want to. You know what it reminded me of when I was in a place like that, Brent? It reminded me of 20-odd years ago when I worked in a funeral home and I worked in the prep room. Do you know that you never get any pushback in the prep room? You can scream, you can shout, you can do it. You better not get any action in the prep room. Because if you get action in the prep room, they'll have one less worker there, if you understand what I'm about to tell you. There's nothing there because there is no life there. There's no direction. There is no passion. And here's what I want to tell you. If God can walk into the prep room of this boneyard that Ezekiel faces, and God can bring revival there, I believe he can bring revival anywhere, to anyone, at any place, at any time. So as we work our way through this scripture, I want to give you four handles this morning that will help you as, you as you process this, as you go home, as God speaks to your heart. It will be a way for you to think through this story about how God wants to send revival and how we need revival. I'm going to confess this to you before I... Um, I don't know, today must be my day of confessions. 20, 30, 40 years ago, I heard a man named Jerry Vines preach this text. I don't remember what he said about them, but I remembered three of the points as I started working back through it. And then I, he missed one that I think was the most important one. And so I want to share this with you and how it has spoken to me. The first thing, which is what he did not have, if there is to be a boneyard revival, if there is to be a revival... You have to have what I'm going to call the beginnings. Everything has to have a beginning. Everything does. Genesis 1 starts off in the beginning God created. Then Jesus came in the New Testament, and, and in John 1, 1, it says in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Everything is in the beginning. And I'm going to just tell you this whole story. Revival in the boneyard, revival in the churchyard comes on this beginning. Here's the beginning. Let me put it in my own words. You can look in verse 1. The hand of God picked me up, and the Spirit of God brought me out. There's your revival right there. The hand of God and the Spirit of God. He talks about that the hand of God... The hand of God was on him, and he took him down to the valley, and the Spirit of God took him down to the valley. Here's what I want to say to you. Absent the hand of God, absent the Spirit of God, Ezekiel had absolutely nothing. And here's what I want to say to every person sitting in this pew and those listening by live stream. If you don't have the hand of God in your life and the Spirit of God in your life, you have absolutely nothing. For you see, wherever you are in life, whatever you've done, wherever you're going to be, you need the hand of God and the Spirit of God for everything if you're going to be saved. There may be someone in a crowd this size. There may be someone who's really not saved. You really don't have a relationship with Christ Jesus. You go to church. You go to Sunday school. You give you money. All of that's well and good. But I'm going to just tell you, without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, a daily walk with Jesus, one day you're not going to leave this 
earth and go where you want to go. It's going to be something else. But you need the hand of God to bring you the message, the truth of the word. And then you need the spirit of God to convict your heart and draw you to himself. You can do everything Baptists want you to do. You can do everything Pentecostals want you to do. You can do everything everybody wants you to do. But without the hand of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord in your life, you have nothing. You will not ever be saved. If you want to be revived, if you want to be renewed, if you remember a day when your heart was hot toward God, you need the hand of the Lord to bring you the truth. And you need the spirit of the Lord to convict you and draw you and draw you back to awaken you. That, that, Lord, that the Lord can work in and through you. You see, the hand of the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord have to work together if there is to be a revival that breaks out in this place. If there is to be a fresh, free beginning, it'll only start, teenagers, with the hand of the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord. It will only start, adults, with the hand of the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord. You see, there are some things that we need to be convicted about. Some of us may need to deal with things like our selfishness, our unforgivingness, our unloving, our pridefulness, unconcern, unfaithfulness, even Immorality. Some may need to repair broken relationships. Now, I don't know of one person, so I can say this and smile because I don't know it. But there could be somebody sitting back over here. And they're sitting back over here because somebody is sitting over here. Because 20 years ago, somebody did something. Nobody can remember who did what. But they just know they're still mad at each other. Hello? God, revival moves in on the avenue of right relationships. Somebody could be up in the balcony and on the floor. You see, the truth is, the truth is, we need the Lord. We need to, we need to come clean with ourselves. We were in a church years ago, and a lady, she was about 80 years old. We heard her say this once. We heard her say it many times. She stood up on the floor of the church. She said, I'm old enough to say what I want. You can just take it. I just tell you a little Bible flash, you never get that old. You will still be accountable to him for what you say, for relationships that you ruin. You see, we, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And it's only when we enter in his courts with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You see, the truth is, is that if we're going, if revival is going to begin today, it's beginning you and me. It's going to begin with the hand of the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord. The beginnings. Second thing I want you to see here, the bones. How in the world can you make the bones a point in a message? Because he said prophesy to the bones. First of all, you can't see it as much on this slide, but you remember that opening slide. There were bones there. Bones that were dry bones, valley, not a mountain. The bones were many, not few. The bones were not together. They were scattered. And they were very dry. Dry means, let me, tell, let me just help the hunters here. 
Dry means dead a long time. I, I could get into the history of why the bones were there, the army that got defeated, but that's not really important for us today. But here's what I'll say. Hunters in particular, hunters in particular, you've been walking through the woods and you have seen animal skeletons. And they've been picked clean by all the varmints and they're very dry. And you look at them and you know that they have been dead a long time. That was these bones. This army had been dead a long time. Could that be said about the church in America today? Dead a long time. But I want you to think about what these bones represent. These bones are relics. They are reminders. They are a remnant of a past life. These bones represent when it was a better day. Just the fact that they're bones means death instead of a life. Bones just lay there. They don't feel, they don't think, and they don't care about anything. If they cared about any, anything and they spoke, all they would do is something like, nobody cares about me, nobody does anything for me. As God showed Ezekiel the bones, he asked him what I would think would be a trick question. Can these bones live? What if he had asked you the, that question? Sometimes we talk too fast. I'm expecting, I think this conversation went like this. I think God said, you see these bones? Can these bones live? And I think there was silence for a while. I think he was marking his words. Because you see, he saw that this was not a man-sized question. He saw this was a God-sized question. And so he answered better than most pretty wisely. He said, Lord, only you know. Only you know. Bones in the right hands become a tool for revival. I'm going to say that again. Bones, those dry bones in the right hands become a tool for revival. Think about this. All across this land, churches who were once alive, vibrant, exciting, spirit-filled, churches that led people to Christ regularly, Churches that impacted the culture. Churches that were used by God to change lives are today only remnants of their past life. Only bones of their past life. God has sent them prophet after prophet, preacher after preacher, leader after leader, teacher after teacher saying, prophesy to the bones to no avail. When Ezekiel prophesied to the bones, I have to tell you, this spooks me a little bit. The bones started rattling. Rattling. 
Now, the only thing I know that really makes a sound that's a rattle is a rattlesnake. So I don't know if the bones coming together begin to sound like a rattlesnake, but it was a, it was a rattling. It was a it was a sound. You see, the truth is, is that for those churches that have been dead a long time, those preachers and teachers preach and teach, and the only rattling that's heard is when people start getting their papers together to leave before the invitation so they can beat the Methodist to the restaurant. You see, the, the deal is, is God wants his bones to respond. He sends his message. He sends his prophecy. He sends his spirit. And he sends his power. When I read this, and it talks about them rattling and coming together. I bet that got Ezekiel's attention. Would it have gotten yours? But they came together. There's a whole other message there. They came together. But there was no life in them, no breath in them. So that's the third thing. I want you to think about the breath. The bones were the the foundation, but I want you to think about the breath. Breath is a pretty big deal. I don't know if we have any health uh, first responders or health uh, professionals here today, but breath is a big deal. When I was a first responder, our primary task when we arrived on scene was to make sure the patient was breathing. A. Airway, B, breathing, C, circulation. Breathing is a pretty big deal. And God said, hey, they're not breathing, so prophesy to the breath. Prophesy to the breath because there is no life without breath. You can have bones, you can have sinew, you can have skin, you can have all everything else, organs, but without breath, life is gone. The same is true in the modern day church. You don't have what the Greek calls the hagios pneumatos. You don't have the Holy Spirit, the, the holy breath of God. The church is only a shell. If you don't have the hagios pneumatos in your life, the Holy Spirit of God in your life, your life as a Christian is only a shell. Breath is important. In Genesis 2 God breathed his breath into man. He became a living being. In Revelation 11, the three witnesses are dead for three days, and the breath comes into them, and they come back to life. In Acts 17, Paul says, God gives life and breath to everything. And one should never forget that Jesus lay in the grave for three days, breathless, and then the breath came back into his body, and life came, and praise God, he lives today on high. The best part of this is that all the breaths of life come from God. It don't come from our favorite hobby or something somebody else gives us. But here's what I want to tell you. Just as surely as God sent his breath into these bodies, into these bones with sinew and all on them, just as he sent his breath there, you can be assured that he wants to send his breath into this place. He wants to send his breath But we have to be receptive and we have to be ready to spiritually live again and spiritually breathe. It's only when we, we, we're like these bodies, it's only when we, 
when the breath comes in and we're reconnected and we're all together, the breath comes in that we can stand on our feet as his mighty army. Recently I heard a pastor say this. The reason so few people visit the church is because we've taken the wind out of the church. The Holy Breath, the Holy Spirit is not an option, but it's essential if there is to be revival. We need Him everywhere. Certainly we need Him in our services. That's why we begin every service asking Him to come here. We need Him in our lives. When you leave this building, you need Him to go with you in your homes, on your job. We need Him everywhere. If you follow that down, the beginnings, the hand of God, the Spirit of God, the bones, those remnants of days gone by, the breath, God breathing back into us. Get those right. The last thing that I see here, you find down in verse 12 through 14, the blessings that come. There is nothing in the universe... There is nothing in heaven on on earth any better than God's blessings. You know what he says here? And and I'm trying to hurry. What he says here, he says, I'm going to open your grave. Wait a minute, Brother Jerry. Stepped off into the deep water now because I am not dead. Please listen to me. You either were dead or you are dead. Because the Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. The Bible says we have no hope. The Bible says that we we are locked in a chain of sin that we cannot get out of in the prison of sin we cannot get out of on our own and we try our best we try to fight our way out we try to reason our way out we try to live good and live our way out the truth is you and i are either dead in our trespasses and sin or if we're not walking in the spirit we're dead to his way of life but here's what i'm going to tell you it is jesus that will open your grave told our ball team Thursday night two words but God you were dead in your trespasses of sin but God demonstrated his own love for you in this that while you were still a sinner Christ died for you but God loved the world loved you put your name there loved Jerry loved Brent loved Blair loved Ethan so much that he sent Jesus to die for our sin. He says, I will bring you up from your grave. The blessing of revival, God's way, is literally a spiritual resurrection. He wants to open our tomb. He wants to, it says, then he says, he's going to bring us out, bring us up. He wants to bring us up out of the tomb, up and out. And then he wants to lead us in. Into what? 
He wants to leave us into a, lead us into a life everlasting. He wants to lead us into a life abundant. He wants to lead us into living. He wants to lead us into freedom. He wants to lead us into spiritual awakening. He wants to lead us into revival. It's like being raised from the dead. In case you're one that's too proud to admit, I'll just tell you, I'll lead the way. I've had a life. I've had a time or two in my life when I felt dead. I felt like there was no hope. I felt like there was no way out. And then I heard his voice. And I remembered those two words. But... He speaks of life by saying, you will live. Nothing matches the life that he gives. Then it goes on and it tells you he will put a new spirit in you. With his spirit, you have a new outlook that comes from a new inlook. Because of your new Uplook. When he puts his spirit in you, you begin to look to him instead of everybody else. You begin to look to him instead of yourself. You just begin to look to him. And your life starts all over again, and you find a new way to think and walk and talk. And all of a sudden, things that used to frighten you spiritually don't frighten you anymore because you're alive. That's what the word revive in the Latin revivir. To live again. The reason spiritual revival is so difficult is not that God doesn't want to send it. Too often, it's because God's people really don't want it. The way we are living is good enough. I remember... uh, Thief in the Night movie from back in the late 60s, early 70s. And I heard the girl say, I go to church on Sunday. I attend Sunday school. I attend worship. What else is there? And one of her smart teenage friends says, well, you're practically a saint. No. The truth is the life that Jesus wants to give does cost us something. But the payoff is beyond what we can think. Raven Hill was real clear about this. He said, we don't have revival in America. And he was a revivalist because revival costs too much. Personally, I love what people say about revival. I read the Bible. And I read about revival. And fire is one of the symbols of revival. Acts chapter 2, fire. It reminds me of a story little small town. The town atheist was John. He would not go to church for any reason in the world. One day, Mark was on his front porch looking at Main Street, and John come running down the road. And he said, John, where are you going? He said, I'm going to the church because the building's on fire. Mark said, man, you've never been to church before. And he said, the church never been on fire before. 
Let that sink in. You see, fire is a sign of revival. Fire will attract people. I'm going to try to land the plane. We need revival to begin in this church. By the way, there is a revival, a spiritual revival in our day going on in Hammond, Louisiana. Been going on for about eight weeks now. I'm probably going to drive down one day this week to experience it. We need revival in our land if this country is ever going to be healed. We saw what went on in Washington this week. I don't care what your political view is. The truth is, it's a sign of the time, and our country is not ever going to be healed by politics. Our country is not ever going to be healed by government. Our country is only going to be healed when God's people come together like those bones. And the breath of God blows in us again, and new life begins to flow out. Brother Jerry, that's kind of hard. It is. But let me tell you what's at stake. I want to ask you to do something that's very rude. Would you turn around and look at that wall right back there and look at that sign on the back? Just turn around. Whoever wants the next generation the most will get it. Thank you. Here's what I want to say to you. There is so much at stake. Brother Jerry, this is 10 Mile Creek. It's never going to get that bad out here. Oh, listen. I've already told you, and these guys really know how much I love them. But they're combating this culture every day. They're combating this culture every day. And And what we need to let them know is that there is a God who loves them because of God who loves us and he loves through us. To love them and that whatever they face, that we're there with them. And they see it in our lives. They don't just hear it with our voice. They see it how we interact. Brothers and sisters, I don't know where you are in your spiritual life. If you've never trusted Christ, today can be that time. If you've trusted Christ and your heart's gone cold, today can be the time that he can reignite that fire and he can breathe in you the breath of life that you thought was long gone. Would you let him do it? Let's pray together.